0: Hey, guys, I'm giving speeches. I'll be at the Connecticut Libertarian Party State Convention on January the 29th and then February the 26th at the state convention in Utah in Salt Lake City there. So I don't know. Look it up. All right, y'all. Welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book, Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy, and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there, and the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Ray McGovern and, uh, of course, former CIA analyst, former chief of the CIA Soviet division back when, and he spent this whole century long being a peace activist. Of course, he's co-founder of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity and regular writer for us at Antiwar.com, where his latest is called Peeking Past the Paul." Put Over Arms Talks with Russia. Welcome back, Ray. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good, Scott. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I really appreciate you uh, joining us today to follow up on our recent conversation and, you know, essentially to catch us up since the talks that happened this week between the Americans and the Russians. So um, I guess go ahead, break it down. What were the major issues uh, at play and what all, if anything, got accomplished?
1: Well, there are two uh, tracks here. One is the uh, demand that uh, NATO close its doors to Ukraine and Georgia. Uh, That, of course, is uh, what is being painted as uh, Putin's primary objective. Uh, That, of course, is what is being emphasized, but uh, it's a red herring. Uh, If Putin thought that NATO would agree to that, having dismissed it as soon as it was voiced, uh, he's not the, uh, the cagey statesman that I believe he is. So that was the maximalist uh, demand. Uh, what, was, what was Putin really trying to do? Well, I think you have to look at why he called Joe Biden or insisted that Joe Biden and he talk before the talks in Geneva between U.S. and Russian negotiators. And it's very clear what happened. Um, he said, uh, look, uh, we need to, to talk and we need to agree to personally supervise all this. And uh, and the, the Russian readout hours later said uh, Joe Biden, Joseph Biden is what they call him. Joseph Biden uh, emphasized, you now get this, that Washington had no intention of deploying offensive strike weapons in Ukraine, end quote. Well, that came from the the Russian readout. Was it true? Well, the U.S. uh, did nothing to deny it. Uh, When Jake Sullivan, who gave a backgrounder on the December 30 uh, telephone call, uh, when he was asked after a very, very general and uninformative briefing, asked by one one of the uh, journalists there, well, is there anything at all, anything interesting that the uh, that happened here in that telephone call <laughs> and, and, and Sullivan stroked his chin and says, no, no, no. no that was... <laughs> so what's the bottom line here? The bottom line is that uh, Biden uh, told him, look, we're going to play this very close to the vest. We're not even going to tell our pet uh, correspondents, our pet journalists what's going on here, but it's true. And, uh, you know, fast forward to this week, when Wendy Sherman was uh, was our our delegate there, she talked about progress. Uh, She said, look, uh, there can be progress and there is progress and we're going to talk about the emplacement of missiles, confidence building measures like uh, keeping troops off the borders and regulating or or, uh, delimiting uh, military exercises. And things like, uh, you know, preventing incidents at sea and in the air. So the Russians agreed to that. So what's what's Putin really interested in? Well, you know, I don't know for sure. And I don't want to claim <laughs> infallibility here. And I'm always wary of, of mirror imaging. You know, what would I do? You know, that doesn't matter. What would Putin do? Well, I think Putin... Uh, I think I know Putin well enough that he is that there is zero chance he will risk war in Europe. He cares too much about his country, and he knows what war is like, okay? So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get acknowledgement, finally, that he has a problem with the emplacement of medium-range ballistic missiles in Ukraine, Poland, Romania, wherever, where they threaten... His ICBM, his intercontinental ballistic missile emplacements in the European part of Russia. And now he's got that. They're going to talk about that.
0: Now, Now, pardon pardon me, just to clarify, are we talking about getting back into the INF Treaty?
1: Yeah, we are. And, you know, (laughs) I mean, the equivalent, what we. Which just expired a year
0: ago, a little more than a year ago under Donald Trump. Yeah,
1: but Jake Sullivan, of all
0: people, Tony Blinken,
1: of all people, said, yeah, this is under discussion. We want to do the same kind of things that that intermediate range nuclear forces uh, treaty uh, that we abruptly left under Trump. We want to see if we can reinstate that. Now, you wouldn't know that from the Times or the Post, but they said that that openly to to press correspondents. So Mm -hmm. Blinken, And Sullivan changed their tune right after Biden talked to uh, Putin on the 30th of December. They told the negotiators, look, hang tough on NATO. That's That's a no starter. And even the Russians know that to be a no starter. But, you know, the reality is, as we all know, Ukraine and Georgia are not going to become members of NATO anytime soon, not for several years, maybe even decades if it gets that far. So it's kind of like a what? A red herring. It's kind of like a straw man. Is Putin going, to, going down to abject defeat on this? Of course he is. Did he expect anything else? No, but that's not what matters to him. Last thing I'll add is that I was always impressed by a, uh, an interview Uh, that Putin gave to Western journalists uh, during an economic summit in St. Petersburg. Uh, It was in 2016. Uh, It was June 17, 2016, as I reconstructed. And he just poured his heart out. He said, look, you guys don't understand this. And quite frankly, I don't expect you to report this because it's sort of anathema to report these things. But we have real concerns about those missile emplacements in Romania already underway and Poland now this was this was almost 6 years ago and he explained to them very very clearly look these holes that they make in the ground for ABM missiles ostensibly the americans told us they're not aimed at you they're aimed at iran and now says putin we have an agreement that forbids Iran from such, some nuclear warheads carried by such missiles. And so, so Putin says, so they lied to us. It wasn't Iran at all, it's something else. And the something else, of course, is that these same holes that they dig in the ground, can be filled with um, Tomahawk (laughs) missiles. It's the MK-41
0: missile launcher, if anybody wants to look into that, this dual-use launcher that you use for your anti-ballistic missile missiles or your Tomahawk H-bomb-tipped cruise missiles, either way.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I was on a radio program with Scott Ritter recently, and he pointed out that the reasons that the U.S. gave for leaving the INF Treaty, now bear in mind, your listeners probably know this, I was, I was flabbergasted that both sides agreed back in 1987 to destroy a whole class of offensive missiles, Pershings on our side and the ss-20s on on the russians they were already in place they were installed <laughs> and yet the two sides were able to agree to destroy them and scott ritter Melissa's heart was one of those people inspectors who went out there and make sure those damn well worked were destroyed so it's possible to do these things but what it requires is an acknowledgement on the u.s side that russia really does feel very threatened and the only way that uh, that Putin could hit Biden up the upside his head is to say, look, we also have these 100,000 asymmetrical, uh, Joe, you know what asymmetrical means, right? Uh, on Near the border with Ukraine. Uh, they're not there for idle reasons. We can use them if you don't come to your senses. Now, again, I may be mirror imaging, but I don't think any country, least of all a, a country led by a statesman like Putin, would invade and try to occupy occupy Ukraine. That would be as crazy as invading Iraq or invading Afghanistan and staying for 20 years. Come on, give me a break. He's not going to invade. But you know what? The deployment of troops can also be used in a political maneuver sense. And that's precisely what he's done. Not for the first time. He did it in April as well. And Biden immediately called the bumper, said, let's have a summit. The summit was in June. And now he's done it again, and this time he said, "Look, Joe, uh, you know if if you continue in placing missiles that can destroy our ICBM force, uh, we're going to have to react, and probably we'll have to react militarily. So let's talk, and that's the big news. We're talking. Uh, Wendy Sherman and Grapkov agreed to continue such discussions on medium range ballistic missiles, confidence building measures and so forth. That's the news here. Not that NATO rejected Russia's attempt to circumscribe its prerogatives.
0: Yeah. And as you point out in your piece, Biden had already said previously that, well, look, we're not going to invite Ukraine into NATO anytime in the next 10 years, which is a polite way of saying indefinitely. Right. Yeah. um, So he's not going to put that in writing and sign a new treaty promising never to do it. American <laughs> politics won't allow for that, unfortunately, it seems. But that's, uh, essentially, yeah. that's the deal that Putin's getting anyway, right?
1: That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, um, there are domestic political considerations that weigh heavily in all this, and uh, mostly on the American side. Uh, but also, you know, here's Putin uh, heading up uh, the Russian mili- <clears throat> military as well as everything else. And when he says... Uh, hey, we need ironclad um, signed agreements, uh, legal documents to make sure that NATO and the U.S. behave in Central Europe. Uh, if you look at his generals and admirals that he's addressing, they're sort of saying, yeah, right, right, oh, that's, oh yeah, right. Well, wasn't the ABM treaty a a legally binding agreement? Oh, how about the INF treaty? Come on, Mr. Mr. Putin, uh, get real, okay? So what I'm saying here is that Putin has his own hawks to contend with. These are high-level military people whom he trusts and who are defending their equities and pointing out to him, this is a very, very dangerous situation. Be hard-nosed when you deal with these people.
0: Yeah. All right. So I don't know if you saw this morning that the uh, well, first of all, I should identify this journalist who's pushing this. I guess Victoria Nuland. I didn't watch the whole speech, so I missed it. But somebody on Twitter said Victoria Nuland made this claim the other day. But there's this horrible so-called journalist named Natasha Bertrand, who made her entire career pushing the bogus steel dossier, not just Russiagate, but the most bogus part of it, all of it. <laughs> And uh, you can even read a great write up in the Washington Post about how she bootstrapped her career based on uh, the Steele dossier, in the words of Eric Wemple there at the Post. But anyway, she's got a story today about how all her CIA sources are telling her that the Russians have infiltrated Ukraine and they're appearing to attack themselves, like Hitler in Poland, in order to blame the war on Ukraine and invade. A big false flag attack that's due to take place anytime now. What do you say, Ray?
1: well i have no doubt that uh, the eastern uh, ukraine is full of agents of various intelligence services i also have no doubt that uh, nefarious schemes are being uh, uh, being devised and perhaps in- implemented in the future including things like sarin gas attacks uh, one of the favorites uh, in the one of the favorite quivers in the ar- arrows in the quivers of uh, U- us and other Intelligence services, uh, but uh, when Putin gave that major address on the 21st of December to all his generals and admirals, he was followed by the uh, the Russian defense minister. And the Russian defense minister said, look says, w- "We have we have uh, reports, we have knowledge that there are 160, I think he said, U.S. citizens." private contractors with sarin gas, with gas that they prepared to start a, a false flag attack, blaming it on, on Russia or just so. So these things happen all the time. Uh, what uh, what the correspondents are doing is if they believe CIA, okay, if they believe CIA, despite the wreck of the last 20 years, well, then they're going to believe, for example, that Russia is going to amass 175,000 troops on, along the border with Ukraine, preparatory to a major invasion in January, like now, or February of this year. That's crazy. But since uh, the CIA fed that to the Washington Post, that's become one of the ben- benchmarks. That's what we're looking at. Now, if you look at the negotiations that are going on now, and then you look at the the uh, Olympics that are starting in Beijing on the 4th of February and, and then you start looking at the uh, thawing uh, hard ground there in Ukraine it's not not like the, in my view uh, that those are <laughs> that those notional um, those straw men uh, numbering 175,000 uh, will be invading uh, uh Ukraine or any any place else anytime soon so But it's, you know, once the CIA says it, then it's true. And that's why it's so hard. That's why it's really hard for these people to back off and say, well, you know, what the CIA thought was not really, or anyhow, it's been overtaken by events and and now we're negotiating. And, you know, again, I may be completely wrong on this, but if you look, if you look at what's new, not what's old, what's old is that, uh, that Putin thought he could get NATO uh, to bar Ukraine and uh, and Georgia uh, forever. That's that's old stuff that everybody would know, <laughs> knew yeah. what that was bring. Uh, the new stuff is this agreement. Um, Wendy Sherman and Riabkov said these talks are going to go on. They're going to take a while because you don't you don't discuss arms control matters of this intricacy uh, in just a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So here's Riabkov acknowledging. Uh, That uh, the time frame is going to be much more than what the Western press is is saying, based on what they see as Russian threats to Mm -hmm. move quickly.
0: Sorry, hang on just one second. Hey, guys, anybody who signs up to listen to this show by way of Patreon will be invited to join the Reddit group. And I'm going to start posting stuff over there more. That's patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. Thanks. Hey, y'all, they've got great deals on weed at thehempspot.com. The Hemp Spot specializes in Delta-8 tetrahydrocannabinol instead of Delta-9, so they can send it straight to you anywhere in America. Recently, a friend moved and didn't have a guy in his new town. But then he heard about the HempSpot.com on my show and was saved, figuratively and literally. Because if you use the promo code Scott, you get 15% off every order and free shipping on any order over $100. Legal jams, bud, gummies, and the rest in your state. TheHempSpot.com, spell T H C. You guys, my friend Mike Swanson has written such a great revisionist take on the early history of the post-World War II national security state and military-industrial complex in the Truman-Eisenhower and Kennedy years. It's called The War State. I have to say, it's the most convincing case I've read that Kennedy had truly decided to end the Cold War before he was killed. In any case, I know you'll love it. The War State by Mike Swanson. Some of y'all have a problem. You've got chickens, but you don't want to stand around throwing food at them all day because of all the important stuff you have to do. Well, the solution to that is to get the Free Range Feeder from freerangefeeder.com. The Free Range Feeder has been developed to satisfy the needs of the poultry chicken hobbyist and the homesteader. The convertible design allows for four different mounting methods. Go to freerangefeeder.com scott or use promo code scott to get 15% off. And get the free ebook. Subscribe to their newsletter to immediately receive your free copy of Getting Started with Backyard Chickens. That's freerangefeeder.com slash Scott. All right, so here's the problem, though, right, is you have, just like with terrorism or with communism before or whatever it is, you have all this tough talk in terms of domestic politics that's so hard to back down from. And I'm reminded of when these treaties are expiring under Trump, I think it was during the INF treaty, but also there was the real threat. If Trump was reelected, he had promised that he was going to let New START expire, which was the last treaty keeping a limit on intercontinental ballistic strategic H-bombs on both sides. And at, at one point you had Dianne Feinstein and a couple of, say, the older, if not more mature Democratic senators in the height of all this Russiagate hype saying, well, you know, I mean, it's not like we want to just throw all these treaties away, right? I mean, maybe despite all of uh, our accusations about Russia taking over America and everything, maybe we need to send our State Department officials to go meet with their foreign ministry officials and figure out a way to save these treaties. And all of a sudden, they're grown ups again, you know, after 730 or something. They can stop and think straight about these issues for a minute. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, it's too much to hope for, right? That that's the prevailing sentiment over, you know, I know what you're saying. We got a big success here and we ought to take it. Uh, I hear that. But I just mean kind of going forward. It seems like it'd be difficult even if Putin, I mean, pardon me, our Putin, if Joe Biden (laughs) feels like, yeah, we really should do the responsible thing here. He also is in a situation where, wow, all the pressure says otherwise. And so even if he wants to do the right thing, it's he would have to tread so carefully and figure out just the right way to, you know, get Congress to go along with him and all those other things. Right.
1: Well, as usual, uh, you asked the right question. It's the thorny question. And we don't have a our Putin. Uh, Joe Biden is not in charge of our country the way Putin is in charge of Russia. Joe Biden has to contend with what I call the Mickey mat, which is the outgrowth of the MIC, the MIC, the military industrial complex. I'll say it slowly, military, industrial, congressional, intelligence, media, academia, think tank complex. Now, why do I say media? Because media is part of this complex. It's the linchpin. If it doesn't completely misinform the U.S. public with respect to Russian intentions, it's real, real hard to justify spending up to $800 billion a year on, quote, defense, end quote. So the power lies with the Mickey Man. Uh, And what we've seen here is tactical, really, in nature. Uh, It was quite striking that. Uh, that Jake Sullivan and uh, Tony Blinken uh, overnight changed their views, and 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 as soon as Biden gave them the word, no, no, we're going to talk about uh, these missile emplacements. Whoa! They became uh, they became advocates not of not only of discussing that, but hearkening back to what you mentioned before, the INF treaty which destroyed that whole class of medium and short-range ballistic missiles. So, yeah, over the longer term, it's a real hard slog. And the real rub is that Putin knows that we have in this country no Putin, uh, that Biden has to sort of maneuver here. And how long he can pursue this this path uh, is politically <laughs> Well, I'm not able to judge that politically because my expertise is not in domestic politics.
0: All right. Now, in your article at antiwar.com, you include the transcript of 10, 12 minutes of Putin addressing some of these issues. And this is from a few years ago, though. So why did you include this and what's so important in it?
1: Well, I was hoping that people would watch it. In other words, it's 12 minutes and I, I boiled down uh, just uh, well I guess it's about two and a half minutes where he says, "Look uh, uh, w- w- the, the uh, Americans have placed their quote, "missile defense system in Romania, and they're saying we have to protect ourselves from the Ra- Iranian Iranian nuclear threat." Yeah. There is none now. Oh. You've got an agreement. There's Iranian. No <laughs> there's no Iranian nuclear. Uh
0: Matt, now, uh, by the way, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt here just to say I, I tried so hard to find this and I could not find it anymore. But I know that this happened that in the W. Bush years, he said that at like a G7 meeting or some kind of European thing and everybody laughed. They just couldn't yeah. help it. He was like, Yeah, well, we gotta protect Poland from missile <laughs> strikes from Iran. And everybody's like, what yeah, right. and then Obama said it. And everyone's like, Oh, yeah, we also are pretending to believe that Obama. <laughs> you know. But yeah. when Bush said they couldn't help themselves, it's the most preposterous thing in the world. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That massive historical, you know, long-term on and off war, the centuries-long struggle between the Poles and the Persians, right?
1: Yeah, and, and Putin is very, very direct here, he says, uh, you can understand now, they were lying to us about the Iranian nuclear threat, how can you understand that? Because they're still building these systems, and now they're being loaded with missiles, And we know that these same holes that they dig in Romania and Poland uh, can be converted into Tomahawk missile launchers, and that endangers our strategic situation. So he made it quite clear. And, of course, uh, Romania is is equipped to do that now. Well, Romania has the holes, and Poland is getting them. And what Biden promised Putin, and this is big, on, on December 30th was okay we agree we're not going to put any of those things in Ukraine. Now, that is big. Uh, One indication of that is that when Putin, one month after uh, uh, Crimea was readmitted to, to Russia, one month later he said, look, we did this for two reasons. One, because of the NATO problem. They wanted to make Ukraine part of NATO. But number two, and in Putin's words, even more important, End quote, was we didn't want those missile sites being emplaced in Ukraine, the ones that are going into Poland and Romania now. So uh, taking Crimea back was partly motivated or more important to Putin uh, from the point of view of missile emplacements to Ukraine. Well, that's what he said. And that was just a month after the uh, annexation of Crimea. Yeah.
0: Um, oh, and by the way, I mean, when it comes to the Russian invasion of the East, they absolutely could have. In February of 2015, the Donbass region held a referendum and voted to join the Russian Federation, and Putin told them no. And right. this is sort of my turn of phrase. I guess I'll let you criticize it, but it seems to me that Putin essentially could have changed the border of Russia right there with a magic marker and essentially just said this is all russian territory now and much like in Crimea simply had his soldiers walk into position there and stand on corners on street corners and say this belongs to us now and that's it it would have been over and he decided not to do that he, yeah and and why do you think that is why didn't he absorb this very pro russian area of far eastern ukraine at that time when they were begging him to
1: well, Crimea and the Donbas are very different animals. Uh, Crimea is a strategic asset that Russia couldn't possibly afford to lose. It's their own ice-free all year long naval base in Sevastopol, which has been there since Catherine the Great, for God's sake. The Russians were not going to allow NATO to take over Sevastopol uh, base. So that was the big thing. Uh, the Crimeans were even more in favor of, of uh, being annexed uh, to Russia, witnessed the plebiscite that they had, over 90% voted for it, than the Donbass people, who were, you know, I would guess maybe 60%. But so anyway, uh it's it's the strategic ramifications here. And it's also Russia and Putin being restrained, in my view. Look, do we want to do we want to have to defend a new border uh, after we annex part of another country? I don't think so. <clears throat> Crimea is easy to defend. Uh, Donbas, let's tell those guys we will support them. We'll give them weaponry and some volunteer soldiers so to speak, but no deal. They're not going to rejoin. They're not going to join Russia. We're not going to redraw that border.
0: Yeah. You know, I haven't heard anyone who says In the last few months here, who has been saying the last few months that, oh, Russia's going to invade Ukraine. I haven't heard any of them mention the fact that, well, he could have just taken the far east of the country back in 2015 if he wanted to, but he decided not to. But I still think he's going to invade now. They just seem (laughs) to leave that out or if they even know that that happened at all, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I asked way back when this first came up several months ago, who... (sighs) Who in their right mind would want to invade a country that used to be the breadbasket of Europe and now is a basket case, really, economically destroyed, thanks to Victoria and the others, Uh, who would want to invade that country, much less try to occupy or even part of it? Yeah, Putin achieves his objectives with that 100,000, if that's how many there are, troops right near Ukraine. He's already got Biden to take him seriously, and we'll just see how it plays out. We have the mickey Matt to contend with, so you can't be very optimistic, but you can be a little optimistic. At least you can look at what's happened that's changed since that telephone call on December 30th between Putin and Biden. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks for the good news. You're the only one who sees it this way out there, but that's because you're the only one asking the right questions, it seems like, too. So right on. Well.
1: You know, uh, it's, it's out on a limb. I'm sort of used to that. Uh, I'm trying to be uh, circumspect here and realize that mirror imaging is always a, th- is always a, a danger for analysts like me. So who knows who's right? We'll, we'll probably find out in the next couple of weeks. And that's, that's good.
0: Oh, and I'm sorry. One more thing here. The, Color-coded revolution failed in Kazakhstan, and now Russia's position there is stronger than before. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, Russia and China. Um, now, whether it was uh, initial initially a color revolution, I just don't know. What I do know is that the National Endowment for Democracy, which used to be known as uh, CIA's covert action group, uh, that they put uh, a million two into. Uh, <laughs> into Kazakhstan's aspirations to be fully democratic, so, so forth and so on. So there were just as there were in Ukraine, many sites of the national endowment for democracy at work, Uh, whether they were the ones that initiated this, it looks like it was more a case of oil, uh, the scarcity of oil and gas. Uh, But, you know, they glom onto these kinds of things. And the, the, the very, The very quick reaction by the ruler, the existing ruler in Kazakhstan, uh, was what was needed. The Russians came in, and now they're leaving. So all these admonitions from Tony Blinken, oh, once the Russians come in, they never leave. Well, uh, he's going to have to admit, oh, they came in, and they fixed things up. They helped the local government fix things up, and then they left. So it's not like Brezhnev entering Czechoslovakia to put down a real uh, revolution back there in 1968. It's more like uh, peacekeeper people coming in and and making sure that the uh, that people who uh, have dubious support uh, do not prevail against a, a friend, a very important friend. And I should add that the longest land border in the world, contiguous land border, is the one between Russia and Kazakhstan. Okay and that Kazakhstan is very, very rich in minerals, oil, gas, has manufacturing. It's really a, a sui generous type modern state in that part of Central Asia.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming back on the show as always, Ray. Yeah, most welcome. All right, you guys. That's Ray McGovern, former CIA analyst, co-founder of Veteran Intelligence, Professionals for Sanity, and regular writer at antiwar.com. And this one is called Peeking Past the Paul, Put Over Arms Talks with Russia. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.